0: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaSports.com.
1: There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well. Or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce
2: the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. We've just completed week 12 of the NFL. On today's show, we're going to lead off talking about some recent hits and concussion information, and we're going to have a breakdown by Spencer the Wizard on the NFL around the league, Week 12. We're also going to replay a segment, an interview, with two Super Bowl champion wide receivers from the New York Giants. Without any further ado, let's get rolling. The New York Giants just got blitzkrieged on Monday Night Football in the Dome by the New Orleans Saints. What was noteworthy was one particular play in the fourth quarter. Perhaps out of frustration, Kenny Phillips speared Jimmy Graham in the head. That is, another player had uh, grabbed... Graham and Kenny Phillips launched himself helmet to helmet, and when you saw Graham down on the ground, his back was arched. Watching with Spencer the Wizard, he noted that he surprised that Graham's head did it fly off his his neck. That's how severe this hit was. Kenny Phillips was fined twenty thousand dollars for a hit earlier on Zach Miller of the Seattle Seahawks, so you could only imagine whether there will be a bigger fine, or perhaps a multi-game suspension for Kenny Phillips. It's an appropriate launch point to talk about a concussion update. Firstly, a concussion means a transient, diminished central nervous system activity. And this can be seen in the field of sports, it could be seen on the military battlefield. It could also be seen on the highways around the United States. The key thing is motion, where the brain is actually thrust forward and backward, which we call coup-counter-coup. And the part of the skull inside, which is closest to the brain, is, are called the petrous ridges. And the temporal lobes get thrust against the bone and likewise, the frontal portions of the brain are very vulnerable to trauma. So, let's look at concussion, and then we'll try to go back to the anatomy and try to explain what happens and why it happens. The first signs of concussion are usually dizziness, blurred vision. Other signs involve direct functions of the temporal lobe. That is anxiety, depression, even psychosis, and memory loss, trouble concentrating, and reduced reaction time. This can be particularly devastating if a player tries to prematurely return to the field of play, regardless of the sport. With reduced reaction time, the player would be vulnerable to a second hit, And what's known as the second impact syndrome. This is a devastating situation where a patient's brain actually begins to leak electrolytes and the blood vessels become pressurized and there's a tendency for rupture of the blood vessels. Uh, Rupture of blood within the brain obviously extends beyond the diagnosis of concussion to itch or cerebral hemorrhage. So let's quickly break down the types of bleeds. One is, if there's a bleed within the brain substance itself, it can be called a contusion, a cerebral contusion. If there's a rupture of one of the blood vessels outside of the brain, this is called a subdural hematoma. And if there's a rupture of the blood vessels, and essentially blood is dumped into the Spinal fluid into the ventricular system. This is called a subarachnoid hemorrhage. This underscores the importance of athletes being taken out of the field of play as soon as a concussion is recognized. The NFL has instituted a policy where sideline testing is noted, and when patients have been diagnosed with a concussion, They are they are restricted from returning back to the field of play, until they are symptom free of concussion, and until they're cleared by a licensed, board certified neurologist, such as your trusted host, that would be me, Bruce the Sports Doc. So, how do we treat patients who suffer concussions? Number one, they must be taken out of the field of play. Number two, their brain must be allowed to rest. Typically, go back into the locker room, let them lie in a dark area, and most importantly, make sure there's restoration of sleep. Many patients with concussion have their reticular activating system, which is part of the brainstem, malfunctions, probably due to the association areas within the brain. So that is during the day, they're extremely fatigued and hypersomulant, and at night, they have trouble initiating sleep. So, as a neurologist who actively treats concussions, what are the types of medications we use to treat patients with concussions? Number one, we use sleep aids. We could use a mild benzodiazepine, a Valium-like drug like clonazepam or Ativan or even Restoril. Or we could use a drug called Ambien, which is known as zolpidem, or Lunesta and Therefore the patient should be allowed to get sleep. And further, the patient should rest their brain. A lot of young athletes are in the habit of using the electronic devices. We're talking about the cell phone with texting, voicemail, conferencing, and also just general use of the computer. And when patients are being treated for concussion, they should rest the brain close down and shut down the computers and the cell phones, be allowed to resume normal sleep patterns, and for those in high school and in college, it's often required that they take time off from academics. Now, it's a difficult situation here because there's pressure from the team to get them back to the field of play. There's also academic pressure, whether they're in high school or college, but it's very important for the treating physician, the neurologist, the sports medicine doctor, to basically become actively involved, to deal with school administrators, coaches, teachers, and there's often a need to to have them take off from their classes, possibly have a sabbatical, and at times have limited homebound instruction. To have to study and look at keyboards and read textbooks is particularly difficult in the setting of concussion. Other medications that can be used for concussion deal with the symptom of headache. The symptom of headache is certainly one of the top three symptoms that are noted by patients following concussions. The headaches will often be around the eyes or in the back of the head. And the medications we use can include combination analgesics such as butalbital, otherwise known as Estric Plus. The use of anti-inflammatory agents that can be found over-the-counter, including ibuprofen and naproxen, are also helpful with headache. A lot of the headaches follow Kid concussion are very similar in character to true migraine headaches. That is, throbbing headaches, pain over an eye, nausea and vomiting, as well as a of fatigue. So there's a whole class of medicines which are called the triptans. Now these medicines actually stimulate the serotonin receptors in the brain. There's a whole host of them. There's a drug called Imitrex, otherwise known as sum, sumatriptan, that can be taken orally, can be injected, or the, through the nasal route. There's a drug called Maxalt, which is, uh, can be taken orally or sublingually. A chemical called dihydroergotamine. Who makes up these crazy names anyway? DHE. What that does is it helps constrict the blood vessels, And it's thought to stimulate the serotonin receptors. There's an inhaled drug called migranol, which is a form of DHE. DHE could also be injected. And in certain settings for patients with intractable headaches, DHE could actually be given in a very low concentration through an intravenous in order to abort a uh, protracted headache, which has a migranous character. Finally... We have testing, various types of examinations clinically, and one which is most embraced nationally is called impact testing, developed by Dr. Mickey Collins and associates at the University of Pittsburgh. The nice thing about impact testing is that most teams nationwide offer a baseline, high school, college, pros, and that way after a concussion, we as doctors might check the patient every two weeks with an impact test. And the impact test will check how they react to visual cues, verbal cues, reaction time, and motor speed. And it's a 20- to 30-minute test. It also is offered in up to 70 different languages. So the impact test, we wait for the patient to be symptom-free. We wait for their impact test to return to baseline or near baseline. We palliate the symptoms of concussion. And eventually, the patients are able to return to some exertion, some training, some aerobic activity, and eventually segue back to their respective sports. Please stay tuned. We have three more segments of Bruce the Sports Doc. We'll be back in three. Your internet flagship station for sports,
1: Voice America Sports.
0: Voice America Sports Network. What does building a family mean to you? Nobody has experienced the pain and joy of family life in a way that Freddie Scott has and his experiences in life in sports and business can help you create a successful family future. We'll cover many aspects of family building and management with a focus on fatherhood. Men and women want their families to succeed during these tough times. Our show will give you hope for the future and practical tools for a successful family. Tune in to the Freddie Scott show tackling the game of life Mondays at Noon Eastern, nine a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a five-ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's out the... Got it. With two point eight seconds left. To left. I don't care
2: where they put him. This one is out of here.
1: From high school to the pros, we, <laughs> we, cover we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportstalk.com. Now, back to
2: the show. Welcome to the second segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're here with our guest analyst, Spencer the Wizard, and we're gonna break down week twelve in the NFL. Being a sports medicine doctor, I find myself baffled by the incredible number of injuries this year. Particularly stricken are the Texans. They lost Schaub earlier to a Liz Frank injury in the foot. Now the, the, the we talked about Liz Frank injuries earlier on in the season. And this is a kind of injury you just wait a few weeks and hope that things get better, and they usually don't. And unfortunately, Schaub will require surgery to repair this. One of the most unlucky players, and at times unskillful and unmotivated, would have to be Matt Leinert. He played his last game in 2009. finally gets his chance to start for the Texans. And what happens? He fractures his left collarbone. That's also called the clavicle. There are many different types of fractured clavicles, many of which are non-displaced and which heal on their own simply by wearing a splint. If you look at Matt Leiner, otherwise known as lefty, you can see the dejected look on his face following this bad injury. And the why me expression, which certainly leads us to conclude that his season is over. And unfortunately, while I've been scouring the wire to actually, I was actually looking for x-rays, but I think uh, I'm not going to see him. to actually hear a description of the fracture, it sounds to me like this is a complicated fracture, a comminuted fracture, one which will require surgery to stabilize the collarbone and which will herald the end of the Matt Liner era in Texas for the Texans, at least until next year. While we're on this subject, there's a whole host of different quarterbacks coming out of the woodwork, names you haven't heard. Brody Croyle, Jeff Garcia, who last led the Eagles to six consecutive victories, seemingly decades ago, but his name's being mentioned, and Trent Edwards. And they actually all tried out last Tuesday, the Gary Kubiak, as always, as the coaches are, is keeping things close to the vest. And, of course, there's talk about the ageless wonder, Brett Favre coming out of retirement. Yet again, warming up with the high school kids in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. A good segue to, to bring in our guest analyst, Spencer Grossinger. And, Spencer, number one, Why don't you talk about the Texas quarterback situation and who you think will emerge among this class of rejected rejects?
3: Well, I don't know if Brett Favre is a rejected reject maybe recently by the by by um fans on Twitter. Um but I, I love the I love the slogan I'm warming up with the kids in Hattiesburg. Um he has been a superstar lately with the with the uh, play sixty movement with the kids. Um um right now Houston is just looking for anybody to come off the street. Heck, even I could come off the street maybe and play the quarterback for Houston. I played some flag football back in the day. Um, But really on a sad On a sad note um, I really feel bad for Matt Leinart I mean he patiently waited his time He matured in Houston um and then he really got his chance and he had aaron foster andre johnson he had a pair um of tight ends and dress and and owen daniels and um this team with their defense this year even without mario williams has the talent to maybe go to the afc title game and maybe go to second go to the divisional round of the playoffs and i believe matt liner you know could be a solid, efficient quarterback. He doesn't have a huge arm. Um, he doesn't have a unbelievable pocket presence, but he can get it done. And if he, you know, if he if he kept on improving his accuracy, I think he's always been an accurate quarterback. That that's always what he was um, known for. He could have led this team. So it's very sad. Um, I've always been a big guy, actually. Not a lot of people have heard of him, but um, I, I followed the Jets a lot, and um, I followed Oregon football and Kellen Clements, who came out of Oregon. Just has a huge arm, and I've always loved Kellen Clemens. He's always such a chill dude, and you know, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks. And um, you know, it's nice to see him emerging on the scene, and it could be his shot. You know, I know they got TJ Yates there, who's a rookie from North Carolina, but seriously, Kellen Clemens is an experienced quarterback. He should get in there and try to own the job. You know, I've always thought Kellen could be a successful quarterback, but his attitude, I just think he needs to get really competitive. You know, he really needs to say, um, you know, this is my best opportunity I'll ever have in the NFL to lead a team. And he should get out there because this is really his only shot to make a career in the NFL. And I believe he actually, if he worked hard enough and actually wanted it enough, he could have the tools. Because being a backup quarterback is a lot of fun. But Kellen, he's got to look, look at himself in the mirror and say, hey, um, you know, no one's really emerging. You know, I could step up here and, uh, you know, it could be my time.
2: Well, certainly, as is our custom, we award the Bonehead of the Week Award to defensive tackle Sue of the Detroit Lions. And his first name is? Indomicon. Try to say that while you're whistling and eating crackers. Well, in any event, <laughs> Sue certainly is, is getting the, uh, the award this week because if you recall the background days – he has been cited as the dirtiest player in the league before this week. He actually reached out and had a meeting with Roger Goodell in order to actually determine the the, the, the way to uh, to be to show good sportsmanship. And this year, <laughs> and this week, actually, he uh, he had a, he he did a maneuver, a stomp maneuver, and uh, he, stomped he stomped right on the the player's arm on national TV. And then he essentially lied about it and said (laughs) – it said that he was just he was just pushing himself off the field, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, when when I like when I fall
3: down, usually like if my, if me and Bruce the Sportstock are wrestling to get up, usually um, I usually push um, Bruce the Sportstock's head into the ground twice, and then I'll just step on his arm, and I'll just say, um, you know, I was just trying to, you know, just um, get up, you know, uh, uh, you know, I was just trying to get up, and it accidentally his arm happened to be right there, and I happened to squash his arm, and I just happened to take my hand and squash his helmet twice against the ground so you know um you know it was just an unfortunate event but I didn't mean to do it or anything um so Dominn Sue come on on Thanksgiving Day man is that a way to represent America and football on Thanksgiving in front of all the kids that are watching and in front of the Thanksgiving day audience come on Dominn grow up you're a great NFL player man don't waste this potential
2: so certainly he gets the award for biggest turkey on Thanksgiving. And I'm predicting at least a two-game suspension and a nice whopping fine, uh, probably in the neighborhood of $50,000. Obviously, the guy is well-paid, and uh, there's just no reason for that. The Lions are having a great year. They could ill afford to lose him, a great defensive tackle. But obviously...
3: He might get suspended also for next week' game versus New Orleans, which is crucial for their season.
2: Well, guess what? He's going to be suspended for at least two games. Not only the New Orleans game, but the guy's definitely got some anger management issues, and uh, you know, so that that's certainly something when we when we look at the uh, across the league that that's something that sticks out. Another, of course, is what we call the headline for today, which is T-Boat again. It's unbelievable. The Tim Tebow and his team, the Denver Broncos, every week finds a different way to win, this time at overtime. Tebow was primarily a running quarterback, but had a very efficient offense, and the defense led by former Eagle great Brian Dawkins, as they tend to be, um, won another game. And it's just amazing how this the Tebow Express keeps rolling. Also, headlines about John Elway, who, of course, is the president of the club? Earlier, before this game, commenting on how he is not sure that a starting quarterback has emerged. That is, he's he was alluding to the fact that Tim Tebow wasn't displaying enough—I uh, won't say attributes, but but wasn't throwing the ball enough or didn't have enough efficiency yeah. to be considered a, a long-term quarterback for the Broncos and. Elway was very surprised by the reaction to that negative comment. I think that Elway should be aware of the incredible support that Tebow is getting nationally. He is a Rudy. He is your underdog. He is a nice a nice guy. He's not shooting himself or other people. He's not beating up anybody. And essentially, he's the All-American boy. He's jibber for debt in a football helmet. And of course... Spencer the Wizards' favorite player in the NFL. Tell us a little bit about Tebow Mania.
3: Well, Tim Tebow, he's just he's just one of the most unique characters the, the game has ever seen. Um, a great story is before the game, you know, Tebow. Um, he he's just more than just a, just an All American player. I mean, he represents. Um, what you know, he represents the role model and what young kids should inspire to be when they grow up, and he is the true role model for me and other kids in America. Um, he did quote the um, the Psalms of the Bible bef- on Saturday. He stood up in front of his team and gave this quote: "Iron can sharpen iron, and man can sharpen men." Um, meaning that we in this locker room. In Denver, can can make each other better and can pick each other up and. You know, um, Tebow um, has been playing decently as a quarterback, and that's even being generous because Elway was right about his criticism. His third down numbers are not great. His passing efficiency isn't great. But now with this offense, you know, it's hard to get into a rhythm when you're running, you know, the wildcat and when you're, you know, running really an option offense in the NFL. But their running game has really gone well. Um, and he's really inspired his defense, and everyone loves playing with Tebow and that my number again is five and one and if you win in the NFL as an owner that's your ma- that's your goal is to win in the NFL who cares how you do it
2: stay tuned for the third segment of Bruce the Sports Doc we will also discuss the cold turkey of the week award or we say cold turkey of the week a guy with the name Stevie Johnson, who himself distinguished himself with respect to uh, unprofessional activities, it also unclutch drops at the end of a game. So enjoy the timeout, get a snack, but join us back here at Bruce the Sports Doc in three minutes.
0: Play ball! If you're looking to talk baseball, even in the offseason, look no further than the King's Corner. Talking baseball with former World Series champion Jim Leyritz. Jim's known for a rather controversial stance during his show. He's brutally honest and ready to talk with current and former players, owners, and other key figures to bring you baseball from an insider's view. You won't want to miss a single episode. The King's Corner Talking Baseball with Jim Leyritz is heard every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel.
1: The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need
0: a ass and move. I just think that the coach made a mistake. Crazy.
1: (laughs) NFL, MLB, 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 NBA, NBA, NHL. NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around around here. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at BruceThesportsDoc.com. Now, back
2: to the show. Welcome to the third segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, neurologist Dr. Bruce Grossinger. Reporting... From Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's me and my trusty sidekick Spencer, the Wizard, and it's 11:30, 2011. We're doing Week 12 breakdown in the NFL. We talked about the Donovan can't say his name Sue and his very smart stomping play, which should have been reserved for professional wrestling. And that would have been a very good play. It would have scored hit points. However, he wasn't playing that sport. Again, we have Stevie Johnson, who was somehow possessed to reenact Plexico Burris's self-inflicted gunshot in the end zone and also a, a plane crashing to the turf, perhaps reenacting 9-11. But at any event, Buffalo, you see, it seems like they always find a way to lose. And the Jets... Did everything to give the game away, but instead Buffalo handed it back on a silver platter. Now, Plexico Burris didn't actually see or make note of the touchdown celebration. He had no idea Stevie Johnson had made fun of the event that sent him to prison for 20 months. And when asked about it, he did throw a jab back at Johnson. He shot himself at the end of the game. He didn't win it. That's actually Jets lineman Siad Pua. I don't know which shot was worse. So Johnson not only got penalized for excessive celebration, he's now facing a fine for the gut celebration, but he also cost his team the game by having a penalty which allowed the Jets to start on the Bills 40 to eventually win the game. So certainly Stevie Johnson... uh, had two touchdown dances. There was no reason he should have literally taken that shot at Plex Burris. And, uh, you know, it's almost like somebody go to the end zone and singing, who let the dogs out when they beat the Eagles. But we have Spencer the Wizard, and we want to know your thoughts on Stevie Johnson. And then we'll get to the NFL least, otherwise there's the NFC East. And we talk about the collapse Of the Giants and Eagles. But for now, tell us your thoughts on Buffalo Jets and Stevie Johnson.
3: Well, if I had to describe Stevie Johnson's actions, I would call it classless and immature. Um, Plexico Burris, unlike many crimes, um, was facing threats towards him and his family back when he committed, back when he. Accidentally shot himself in the foot in a New York nightclub. And just a point about how serious this matter was a week ago. This story should have been a national story, but Victor Cruz, God bless him, thank God he was safe. But there was a shooting also at his birthday at a Manhattan nightclub. So the point is, is that. You know the world is is a dangerous place, and you know bad things go on. And guns and nine eleven that's not something to joke about at all. Um, when you score a touchdown, you can do a dance, you can reenact a movie, or you can reenact you know um, pretty much anything, but not something dangerous like nine eleven and gunfire in a New York nightclub. That is just totally inappropriate. And Plexiglas that event might you know might have really disrupted his his life and his career in the NFL you know he was going solid with the Giants and he could have won more Super Bowls with the Giants so um that that was just really classless and Plexico Burris I just really have to give kudos to him for being so mature about the situation and saying I know Stevie Johnson's a young kid and I know he made a mistake um and um and you know, I accept I accept his mistake and I really commend Plexico for showing that maturity, and I'm really p- proud of Burris.
2: Well, Spencer, uh, we were in attendance for uh a game where we could have given less rights to the Philadelphia Eagles. That's right. It was Philadelphia against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. I must say I regard Brady as one of the three best quarterbacks I've seen in my lifetime, and I would consider Joe Montana at the top of the list. He's a player who uh, who did his thing before you were aware of anything. Uh, but in any event, I would put certainly um, I would put Peyton Manning and Tom Brady on the same pedestal with Joe Montana. And what I saw the other day in a thirty-eight to twenty game which was not as close as this score would indicate. There was a meaningless touchdown at the end of the game for the Eagles, and frankly, Belichick took his foot off the gas in the second half completely. I think Belichick has respect for Eddie Reid, and they were able to put a quick 38 points on the board, completely dissecting the Eagles' hapless wide-nine defense. Philadelphia countered with Vince Young, horrible play calling by the Eagles, that is, uh, with with faced with short yardage at the goal line, throwing four consecutive passes, including one pass outside of the end zone, and only running, shady McCoy, the 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 best running weapon, ten times in the whole game, not taking any of the uh, you know, the air out of the ball, and just allowing New England to wear down the Eagles defense, and it was just a pitiful showing. The Eagles have lost 9 out of 10 games at home. And certainly, this this Cub reporter here, Bruce the Sports Doc, was definitely one of the many people in the middle of the third quarter with the Fire Andy theme. Fire Andy. You heard it on two successive occasions. And the only thing that Jeffrey Laurie is going to understand is the feeling of apathy and the sound of lost money in the coffers. And when, essentially, by the end of the third quarter, the stadium had emptied and everybody was in their car, that feeling of, ap- of apathy, I believe that the last two home games against the Jets and the Redskins will also be a death knell. I don't know anybody who's going to brave the cold on New Year's Day to to watch the Redskins play the Eagles in a completely meaningless game. So, certainly, uh, it should be the end of the Reed era. This reminds me very much like the end of the Rich Kotite era and the Ray Rhodes era, where the team has completely quit. And I believe, really, after 13 years, uh, in fairness to Andy Reed, he's been the uh, the most woody coach the Eagles have had, which is um, it's a fairly losing organization. But in any event, everybody Reed doesn't have any more tricks. If you look at him, he's a beaten man. He he, uh, you know, the other the other teams have figured about and certain tragic flaws, the absolute refusal to use a running game, even when you have Shady McCoy, the inability to, to see that linebackers are important in the NFL, poor drafting, Howie Roseman, Andy Reid, horrendous drafting over the last few years, and, and trying to win by replenishing the team with free agents. One thing the Eagles have to learn is free agents should be gravy. They should not be the turkey. And unfortunately, the Eagles are playing like turkeys. They're done. Their season is over. And it's time for a change. So if you're listening, Jeff Lurie, Joe Banner, it's time for a change. Please wake up and we need a new change. Take a look at Jim Harbaugh, how he changed the mentality in San Francisco and how uh, uh, the same cast of characters is playing inspired, well-organized football with a strong leader at the helm, as opposed to Andy Reid who is essentially looking clueless, a deer in the headlights, completely outmatched, outcoached the decision to put Juan Castillo, the only time in history, including Pee Wee football, where an offensive line coach was promoted to defensive coordinator. Andy Reid always thinks that he's smarter than everybody else, that it's his system, not the players that will win. Well, those days should come to a close as the Eagles fans are apathetic. So I've certainly vented about my team. Now let's look at the next disappointing team, the New York Football Giants, who got cremated, flambéed, and souffled by Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. Final score forty nine to twenty four on Monday night football. Spencer, your thoughts.
3: Um just just a very disappointing game for the uh for the Giants here. Just you know, I was watching the defensive ends, and against New England, the defensive ends looked really hungry. They looked at Tom Brady as prey, and they were really coming after him and trying to really hit him hard and really play smash-mount football. But against Drew Brees, They weren't even making an effort to really try to get in and stop them. Their secondary, they were just really dispassionate. And they just let the Saints pretty much walk all over them. They he let Drew Brees have plenty of time to throw the ball. I mean it's one thing when you have Vince Young when you let Vince Young have time to throw it like they did last week and they almost you know were able to send the game into an overtime period. But when you're up against Drew Brees, you gotta prepare and you have that extra day with a Monday night football game. got to bring it you're going on the road you got to play stern tough D and at least give half the effort that you gave in New England or that you gave earlier in the year and for you know the Giants have dealt with a lot of injuries but Tom Coughlin um this is a crucial game in his coaching career because if they don't make the playoffs for 3 straight years I think that It's time for Tom Coughlin to go because just his second half collapses are just ridiculous every single year. And now I know they have a tough schedule and all of that, but the way that their defense is playing this year and – you can't win a game when Drew Brees has the ball for that long and you only have five offensive series. I mean, Manning didn't even do that poorly. It's just he didn't get any opportunities cuz the Saints kept on converting on third downs and and Drew Brees had all day back there. I mean, he could sit back there for two days and pick apart this off this defense with Sean Payton there leading the controls. Um just a complete walkover and it's really just the demise of Tom Coughlin and the Giants and they just don't, they're just not really responding to him and not playing with any heart. And next week's game versus Aaron Rodgers could be ugly unless they somehow find that hunger. Because the D linemen, even when they got close to Drew Brees, they barely put their paws on him. They just didn't look like they wanted to get dirty today. And as an NFL fan of the Giants, it was just very disappointing to see.
2: When we look at around the, the league after week 12. I'm really struck by how many really bad teams there are in the league. And it's just, you always hear the expression that good teams find a way to win. But if you look across the league, look at how many teams manage to lose. I watched that Miami game against Dallas. And frankly, I was hoping for a tight division. If Dallas would have lost, it would have tightened things up between the Eagles, Giants, and Cowboys. And I looked at Miami. What did they have to do? They had to have one stop in the last series of downs. But instead, they couldn't do it. And Dallas kicks a field goal to win the game by a point. The Dolphins, again, find a way to lose. So let's look across. We can look at some teams that are just flat-out terrible. Jacksonville losing to Houston. Again, scoring 13 points. The Bills, we already talked about. Had the lead. The Jets looked dead in the water. Stevie Johnson managed to single-handedly lose that game. St. Louis, what can you say about them? Losing to the Arizona Cardinals, a very difficult feat for anybody. And, of course, looking at the Andrew Luck sweepstakes, far in the lead is the Indianapolis Colts, who minus one Peyton Manning seem to be on a, uh, a track, a spiral track for a winless season. You can look at the Cleveland Browns. I think that's enough said about them. And, of course, the hapless Minnesota Vikings. What a bad team. Seattle, losing at home to the Redskins traveling across the country. How could you lose to them? Almost impossible. Also, looking across, more bad teams. The Kansas City Chiefs certainly in there for the toilet bowl, scoring a, a very proud nine points at home. And the Steelers somehow finding a way to win again. So, I'm struck by how many bad teams are there in the Andrew Lux sweepstakes, all circling the drain.
3: Tampa Bay losing to Tennessee also. I mean, the Bucs losing to to, to Tennessee and Matt Hasselbeck and Chris Johnson. You're right. There are so many teams this year in the NFL that that don't impress you at all. And... Um, there's a lot of quarterbacks out this year, um, and you have divisions like the um, NFC East that are not good, and then you have the um, the AFC South. You, you're now going to have a team led by TJ Yates and Houston Texans that are uh, that are winning that division. So you're right. There is a lot of poor teams, and there there are very few elite teams that will battle it out. Um, you know, this year in the NFL.
2: Thank you for listening to the third segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. We have an abbreviated fourth segment coming up. Thank you very much.
4: Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com.
0: Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Sports. Kevin Lewis has been a student of the game his entire life, from Little League to the NFL. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Voice America Sports. Hustling with K. Lewis. It's not where you start; it's how you finish.
1: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to bruce at brucethesportstalk.com.
2: Now, back to the show. Mark Bavaro has demonstrated through his life a very humble, low-key personality, though many considered Mark Bavaro to be a Hall of Famer. He finished nine NFL seasons with 351 receptions, over 4,700 yards, and 39 touchdowns. Most importantly, He sports two Super Bowl rings with the New York Giants. His most famous play was called, simply, The Catch. Monday Night Football, 2005. Playing against the San Francisco 49ers, he catches a pass from Phil Simms. It took seven 49ers defenders to drag him down including Hall of Famer Ronnie Lott. He dragged some of the players for 20 yards. This inspiring play jump-started the Giants, who would eventually win the Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos. Throughout his life, Bavaro has displayed a humble, low-key, blue-collar personality and cemented his tough-guy reputation when he played for six weeks with a broken jaw, having to sip food through a straw. He was also an excellent blocker. In the next segment, Mark Bavaro will talk to Bruce, the sports doc, that would be me, and discuss his life and remembrances of the 1986 Super Bowl season. We're here at the reunion with... uh, with Mr. Mark Bavaro, certainly a central figure in the
5: 1986 Super Bowl. Mark has always been thought as as one of the most thoughtful,
2: soft-spoken, but introspective players of the Giants. And he's kind enough to to say a few words today. I know yesterday was an emotional day when everybody came together. Could you just share a few thoughts with us today? It was just good to see everybody. and
6: A lot of these guys I haven't seen in 25 years, so Uh, it was it was just nice all together in one spot. And it seems like you know time really never had passed. It really
5: seems like the bond between the players is very special on this team. I, I cover a lot of different teams and different sports. But it seems like everybody really comes together and everybody helps each other out, particularly those who haven't been so fortunate over time.
6: Yeah, I mean, this, is, this was a, definitely a special group of guys. I mean, in my career, I play with many teams but this one definitely was special. I mean, this—I'm not I'm not sure that I can put my finger on it, but I think a lot of it has to do with with the, the type of the type of uh, personalities that were assembled here, and that's you know credit to Bill Parcells and and George Young. Um, but you, you don't you don't you don't see this this group of guys on any other team. Uh, Certainly not any other team that I, I have ever been on. Even the '90 Giants w- w- were different than this group. This was this so. This was is really
5: a special group. And it was Harry really took it upon himself to bring everybody together, and it's amazing how virtually to a man, any anybody who was healthy enough to come here, uh, including all the players and coaches, have made it, and that's very special for a reunion.
6: Well, I think it, it speaks a lot to the to the time, the era of of our days here. You know, it was. It was before free agency. There was a hierarchy on teams. You know, Harry and George Martin—they were definitely the, the team leaders, not not just team leaders. They were like the team elders. You know, they were almost they were almost father figures to to everybody. Uh, it was a lot of respect. And when those when guys like that put something on, we all follow. You know.
5: Yeah. Absolutely. And I know <laughs> there's going to be a. Part of the presentation is the Mark Bavaro catch. Could you just talk about, I know you, you don't like talking about your own accomplishments, but what are your recollections about that, that particular catch?
6: I just remember being bad tackling. You know, it wasn't anything, it wasn't any more effort than any other play I ever had. It was just, uh, it, was, it was poor tackling on the 49ers' part. Uh, if they had done their job correctly, it never would have uh, gone that far.
5: You know, it doesn't surprise me. You're such a humble man to not attribute it to to your road skills, but to the bad tackling, and that's in keeping with Mark Pavaro. We're here at Voice of America Sports, and we're really glad to spend a few minutes with Mark. Thank you so much, and enjoy this most
2: wonderful day. All right, thank you, brother. thank you, buddy. Joe Morris, a diminutive five foot seven inches, was a key linchpin in the 1986 Super Bowl season. He rushed for 313 yards in three playoff games, including a 159-yard, two-touchdown performance against the San Francisco Giants. He now works in real estate and insurance and resides in New Jersey with two of his children. You'll hear Joe Morris reflect upon his reunion with his teammates from the 1986 Super Bowl and his remembrances as well. At age 22, Mark Collins was the youngest member of the New York Giants Super Bowl team. He'll be remembered as being a steady defensive back and played a key role in the 1986 Super Bowl season. You'll find Mark to be a really engaging, likable guy, and I met up with him at the reunion with him and his small son. We're here at the 86 reunion with Joe Morris, who was fantastic running back, and
7: uh, we want to hear about your
2: reflections
7: upon the last few days together, rejoining your teammates. Uh, this has been a very emotional thing for me. I enjoy a lot of my teammates. I'm happy to see him. Uh, some guys just bring cheers to my eyes. Mark Duvall, Zeke Moat, Maurice Carlton. These are guys that made my job so easy. The offensive linemen, uh, seeing my coaches, seeing all the defensive guys, just seeing everybody here in one place. You know, the guys who are obscure, people don't realize. Solomon Miller, the Vince Warren, that people don't know were part of that team. You know, I remember going in the hole, asking these young men, you know the play? You know what route you're running? You know what you're doing? They go, yeah, Joe, I'm good. I'm good. And it's a Joe, I remember it like it was yesterday. It happened yesterday, and it's been 25 years. So these 25 years really flew by. You happen to look great,
2: and uh, it looks like everybody stayed in shape. One, one character about this team is that we all band together, and it seems like people who aren't as fortunate have been helped out by other people. I think you alluded to that. Tell, amplify on that a little bit.
7: I think people care about what happens to your teammates. Uh, Jim Burke's a close friend. If he ever needed anything, he knew how to be for me. Any player on this team that needed my help, I would be there for him. And they know that. Um, you know, Jeff Rutledge had a car accident a couple years ago. Harry drove seven hours to Brentwood, Tennessee, to see him. Then drove home out the, just to make sure Jeff was okay. Because that's what a teammate does. And, you know, everybody's calling Jeff. Jeff doesn't remember it, but he knows all his teammates try to reach out and call him. I call him just to say hi. Because... That's what you do. You make sure your teammates are okay. It's a very special bond. And, you know, I think about the game and, 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 and a big role that Jeff played in. We go in and we're going to run a fake punt, and, <laughs> and then we throw a flea flicker. That's not Bill Parcells' style. He doesn't gamble like that. But that day he did because he wanted to win the Super Bowl for us. That's fantastic. So certainly
2: that's one of the remembrances. When the game was over, could you think about what, what it felt like
7: to win the Super Bowl? to win the Super Bowl was probably the greatest athletic achievement I'd ever achieved. You know, I had a pretty sh- uh, strange year that year. First show, uh, a chance to get getting the playoffs, win the Super Bowl, and I remember thinking about it. Samantha was more important, but this was a damn close second. Well, we really appreciate your time today, Joe
5: Barris, and to hear from Voice of America Sports, thank you, and enjoy your day with your teammates.
7: Thank you.
2: Here we are, it's Dr. Bruce, Bruce the Sports stock with Mark Collins, who's here part of the 86 reunion, and he's here with his son, Marco. And uh, we just wanted to have him share some of his experiences about what it's like to re- to get together with the guys.
4: Uh, you know what, it's great. Uh, after 25 years, you know, to see these guys again, and all, we're all collectively together and still alive, <laughs> it's a great deal. And uh, 1986 was my first year. And walking on Cal State Fullerton, some drippy, jerry Curl kid, from California uh, to win the Super Bowl is great and it's great to see everybody
5: that's fantastic question I'm sure you get all the time is uh, what's it like to play for Bill Parcells
4: you know we get all the time and it's, it's, he's a great guy and, and our relationship has grown over the years and, and, and I respected him always have I always try to uh, impress him to like me when I played through my play but uh, well, I mean of all the coaches I played for heads Above, he, he's the best coach I've ever, 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 ever played for.
5: And uh, I understand yesterday was an emotional day when everybody got together and, uh, yeah. and saw each other. And uh, what, what were some of the thoughts that, that, that approached that, that were going through your head during some of those speeches and testimonials?
4: Well, uh, and I was one. I was one of those who spoke. Also, uh, you know, the emotions of how we came together as a team. From all over the country and different backgrounds, different walks of life, and we put it together and, and, and got a championship out of it. Uh, and more so than that, and, and this testament to Bill Parcells to bring all of us together uh, to win a championship. But I tell you, when you look around here and I'm around the league, this team is still tight. We care. I mean, truly care about each other. It's not just we played for a guy played for one year and then left somewhere else. Um, we still at, care about each other, and it. And you you feel in the room even now you can feel it, we generally care and and love each other and and it's evident
5: you know what, when people really care about each other, that's what caused what a beautiful year and what a great run and uh, we're here in the VIP area, you you can see the love that persists, 25 years it hasn't died down a moment and uh, we're so glad to have you today thank you so much for talking to us on Voice America
1: well thank you Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.